thankful for that truth this morning. No longer bound by sin. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We'll begin to read in verse number 1. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, random examples and timeless truth. Receiving church family, you'll find the book of Acts, chapter 17. Begin to read in verse number 1, where the Bible says, that when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, They came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring, out, sought to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And they, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched out the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. And immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and remaining a command from Silas and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us again today, Father. We pray you'll still our hearts and minds. Father, remind us and help us to be aware that there's an enemy who would seek to keep us from receiving your word today and your perfect will. And Father, I pray uh, that if there's one who's never been saved, Father, they'll turn and trust Christ today. But Father, I pray from these timeless truths, Father, and just these random examples that we see scattered through the book of Acts. We'll be encouraged. We'll be built up. We'll be exhorted. And Father, I pray that we will, because of the truths that we receive and how you sow them and make them a part of the foundation of our faith, Father, we'll be more ready and more apt to serve you and be more faithful in these days. Bless this time. Your perfect will be done. We'll give you thanks again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. You know, the book of Acts, is, uh, it's a record of the early church as it lived on mission. And all throughout uh, the book of Acts, there are just little random, random examples and timeless truths that you find. Uh, really, there are very few messages, and I don't say this in a self-serving way, but just saying there are very few messages that are preached through these first few verses 
of 17. Many messages you'll find in lessons when Paul goes to Athens, and it's a very easy uh, to see evangelistic message, responses that were given. Uh, but all Scripture is profitable. And if you'll read through the book of Acts, it may not flow exactly in just a, an, a, an easy three-point message, but there are truths that God put in there. There are examples that can benefit us uh, and, and encourage us. And so we see some really just random examples and timeless truths here this morning in Acts chapter 17. So I want you to notice first off this morning, a commission exhibited. A commission exhibited. We, we see here in these first few verses uh, the Apostle Paul being a great commission Christian. He's, he's living on mission. We get a snapshot into his life in just any city, just an ordinary city, but here he is in Thessalonica. Remember that in Acts chapter 16, look at verse number 40 there, preceding chapter 17. The Bible says, So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and they departed. And so now the Apostle Paul has left the Philippian jail, and he goes to see Lydia and those who are there. And I find it so interesting. It doesn't say that Paul and Silas were encouraged, but they encouraged those young believers. They saw them come. They saw the stripes. Their clothes were surely still torn from where they'd been beaten. Uh, you can't even begin to imagine how bad they smelled from the inner part of the city. Remember, in these days, prison systems didn't have sewer systems. Water runs downhill. They were in the inner part of the city. Where do you think they were? And so they were in the dirtiest, filthy part of the jail. But it's interesting to me, they left the jail and they continued on mission. But friends, I don't want you to miss this this morning. They left the jail behind them. They didn't take it with them. The reason the Apostle Paul could continue to be effective is he didn't live in yesterday's affliction. He continued to move forward and embrace the newness of every new day. And so the Bible says in verse number 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. He just continues to live on mission. I mean, for the Apostle Paul, it was just, it was on to the next city, on to the next person, on to the next family, because Paul was a great commission Christian. He was being faithful to what God, don't miss this, has called all Christians to do, and that's to live on mission every day, reaching, teaching, and encouraging. And so look at verse number two. Then Paul, don't miss these words, as his custom was, this, this wasn't something that Paul said. He said, you know, this, this is going to be a special event. You know, there will be churches that used to have, they don't do it anymore because they really don't work. You're going to have high attendance Sunday in Sunday school. We're going to invite everybody, high attendance Sunday. So we'll have a special event. Well, living on mission wasn't a special event for Paul. It was, it was a part of his daily routine. Just like some people walk out to the mailbox and get their newspaper and then come back in, sit down, drink their morning coffee. Part of the Apostle Paul's day was when he woke up, he thought about, who can I witness to today? Lord, where are you going to send me? Who can I engage with the gospel? So it was routine for Paul to seek out others to share the gospel with. And so these, these next few verses, they're, they're really a clinic in evangelism. I want you to notice Paul's, first off, his manner. Notice his manner. The Bible says, as his custom was, he went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. First off, I want you to notice about his manner, that he was deliberate. Verse 2 says that he went into them. So it wasn't something that just, just happened. He purposely went into them. 
He, he, he found people. He identified lost people. He says, I'm going to go share the gospel with them. Friend, you'll never share the gospel with anyone effectively if you're not deliberate about it. It has to be something that you, you decide to do. I see this person. I, I've heard them speak. I've already de- or I'm going to develop a relationship with this person for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. And so he went into where these Jews were. It was, it was his customs. He was deliberate. The second thing I want you to see about his manner was he was diligent. It wasn't just, well, I'll try, and if it doesn't work, I'll quit. Look what the Bible says again. He went into them, and he did this for three Sabbaths. So for three weeks, he just kept at it. Because these, these were, now we're going to see later in the text, this was, this was a group of hardheads. They, they were steeped in the Judaic religious faith. They'd come to a place they didn't want to receive Christ as Messiah. Now, listen, I'm not talking about personally receiving him as Lord. As a Jewish nation, they said, no, we don't recognize that Jewish carpenter that died on the cross. I know they've said uh, that he died, but, you know, he must have just fainted or swooned because he said the tomb's empty. He's hiding somewhere, so there's no way that can be God's son. That's, these are the things they thought. They said, we're not going to receive that guy. And so Paul just continued to share with them, but he stuck with it. Friend, very rarely will you have somebody on the first cast receive Christ when you try to share the gospel with them. You've got to be long-suffering. You've just got to continue to pray and stay at it, be open, be available. Now, can I say this, friend? Uh, don't, don't be so persistent that you're irritating. Hello? All right? So let the Holy Spirit lead you in how to speak and when to speak, but you have to be persistent. So Paul was diligent. The third thing I want you to notice about his manner was he was dependent. And this ought to be a great comfort to you. One of the things that really burdened me that when I began to realize, you know, that the Lord requires all believers to live on mission, to daily seek out people to share the gospel. When I was early on, after I just committed my life to Christ, as the Lord was calling me to preach, I still I didn't understand. I said, well, God, what am I going to be able to share with somebody? How can I talk? Lord, I don't know what to tell anybody. How am I going to tell them how to be saved? No, don't miss this. When I finally realized I don't have to tell anybody anything, I just have to turn God's word loose and let it speak for itself. And so Paul was dependent upon what? Upon the word of God. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 2. It says, he went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them. What's the Bible say? From the scriptures. He just let the Word of God speak. He took all of those Old Testament prophecies and said, look, He's fulfilled all of these things. This is God's Son. This is is the Messiah. And he would later write in Romans chapter 10, verse number 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So that ought to free you. You don't have to come up with something to say. All you have to do is just let God's Word speak. And so he did that. That was his manner. But notice also in this, this commission exhibited, not only we see his manner, but we see his method. We see how he, he did that. The Bible says in verse number 2 again that he reasoned with them. Now, we've already seen that it was from the Scriptures. He was dependent, but he reasoned with them. He discussed the gospel. That was part of his method. He, was, he wasn't there to talk about merely the weather. That might be an icebreaker. He wasn't there just trying to sell tents. That was his bivocational trade. But he was there to share the gospel with them. And so he reasoned with them. He began to talk. He discussed the gospel. Christ's death, 
his resurrection, their need to receive him to be Lord of their life. Their sin problem. Why Christ came. Why he died. What God's plan was through the nation of Israel. What the promise was to Abraham. And the promises that all the, 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 the prophets had given, how Christ had fulfilled that. And so he discussed the gospel. And you've got to do that. Remember, you've got to keep driving it back to Jesus. Remember our studies from Sunday night? That you were going to try to talk to somebody, and they're going to try to get off on this tangent and down this rabbit trail, and you've, you've got to be like that sheepdog that just keeps herding them back and getting on the trail of the Romans road and just keep talking about the gospel. But the second part about his method was not only that he discussed the gospel, but he described the gospel. He didn't just talk about it, but he began to explain it. What sin is. How Christ died. How he rose from the grave. Look what the Bible says in verse number 3. It says he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again. So he explained what happened. Most certainly, he probably explained what happened in his life. Acts chapter 9. We'll see that later in the book of Acts, how he stood when he was in prison. And he says, look, this is what happened in my life. This is how the gospel impacted me. I used to think just like you. I used to be just like you, Paul would say. He says, but now the gospel has changed my life. And so he, he explained it. He described the work of the gospel. And then three, and I like this, he demonstrated the gospel. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 3. Explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and to die again. That word demonstrating literally means proving. He, he went to the Scriptures and began to prove. See, look, this, this is proof from the Scriptures that Jesus rose again. He says, we've got all these witnesses. Luke was there. He saw. He, he touched him. He handled him. He saw the risen Savior. Peter was there. All of these are eyewitnesses. And so he demonstrated the gospel. What? That Christ had to suffer and to rise again. And friend, that's got to be your method. I know the easy thing that the devil wants you to do is just to invite somebody to church and tell them that you're praying for them. But if you're saved this morning, say amen. Aren't you glad somebody did more than invite you to church? Aren't you glad that somebody cared enough to have a part of their life, a method to discuss the gospel, to describe the gospel, and then to demonstrate it, to prove that Christ had to die, he had to suffer, he had to rise again, and you have to receive him or you're going to die and go to hell. Aren't you glad somebody loved you enough to do that? Then we've got to have that same mark on our life. Paul did. So we see his manner, we see his method, and here was his motive. Look at verse number 4. And some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. What was Paul's motive for living on mission? He wanted to see people saved. Why do we have the ministries that we have here at this church? We want to see people saved. We want to see people discipled. And through all of those, we want to encourage people to finish well. That's, that's what the local church is for. Why do we have an Awana ministry? Well, it helps kids be more well-rounded. We don't care about them being more well-rounded. We want kids to be saved and not die and go to hell. We want to reach families. That's why we do, that's the motive. Why do we live on mission? I mean, why does somebody, listen, I, I would have no respect for any fisherman that says, you know, I love to fish. I just like to put my boat in the water and just float and look at the leaves. I'm like, you, you what? 
You mean you only get a rod out of a locker and cast? Well, no. I mean, I'm a fisherman, but I just like to be out on the water and just, just to watch birds. So you're no fisherman. Any real fisherman, friend, doesn't go out on the water. It's great to look in the trees. It's great to see a bald eagle or an osprey. But every real fisherman goes fishing for one reason. You want to rip their jaws. I mean, you want to catch a fish. Harry, can I get an amen? Yes, sir. You want to catch them. Well, friend, any on-mission Christian will not be satisfied until they catch somebody and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the motive is. We want to see people say. And so Paul had to confront them with truth. A great verse for this time of the year, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Jews, many of them, were still looking for a Messiah. And friend, they still are today. They still are today. They're still looking for a Messiah. And 2,000 years ago, He came. He came, he dwelt among his own, but his own received him not. John chapter 1 and verse number 14 says, The Word God became flesh, dwelt among us. John says, We beheld his glory, the glory of only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so Paul realized, don't miss this, that all those Jews that he was sitting there for three Sabbaths sharing the gospel, saying, listen, you're still reading scriptures about the Messiah, but I'm telling you, God's already sent him. He lived among us for 33 and one half years. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's sitting in heaven with open arms, wanting to welcome you into the family. But you must turn and receive him to be Lord of your life. That was his motive. And friend, it's no different today. If you're here and you've never been saved, the same decision that they had to make, you have to make. And those that we're going to witness to, they have to make. And that is to turn and to receive Jesus to be Lord of their life. Pilate said it this way in Matthew 27 and verse 22, What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? It's the most important decision anyone will ever make. So we see a commission exhibited. That's, that's a great example. But I want you to notice this. A truth that we see this morning from this text is a constant enemy. There was a commission exhibited, but I want you to notice now a constant enemy. Paul would well write in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 to the church at Ephesus, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that is people. People are not our enemy. He says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in heavenly places. Everywhere that Paul went, the devil was already ahead of him and waiting. Paul had an enemy, and I want you to listen to me. You have an enemy. And you can't fight the enemy unless you name the enemy and you identify the enemy. Friend, you're just punching in the air. You have to realize Satan is your enemy, and he is against you, moving about like a roaring lion, seeking the Bible says, whom he may devour. And so he attacks through, first off, people. Look at verse number 5. But it's the Jews who are not persuaded, becoming envious. Why were they envious? Because their crowd was getting smaller. You see, ministry for them wasn't about seeing people saved. It, it was about power and it was about money. And not much has changed in some churches today and some lost people. That's what it was all about. And so he was going to work through these people. They're becoming envious. They took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob. They set all the city in the uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to people. 
And when they couldn't find Paul and the others, they grabbed Jason and some of the other brethren, brought them for the magistrates because they wanted to see what happened to Paul and Philippi happened to Jason and those other believers. And so they sought to attack them. And this is what Satan was doing, friend. He was working through them. They didn't even know. Remember when Jesus looked down upon the crowd and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what? What they do. They don't even know. And friend, listen, a lot of these people, they only, they're so deluded, they don't even know what they're doing. But Satan knows what he's doing. He's working through them to try to stop the efforts of the gospel. And notice this in verse number 13. After they moved on to another city, this same crowd, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned, Paul's now in Berea, that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they took a little mission trip. They got everybody together and said, hey, let's take a mission trip. Let's go beat up Paul and destroy the gospel there. They came there also and stirred up the crowds. What does that tell us? We have an enemy, friend, that is unrelenting. He won't stop. Now, I want to tell you this, friend. There are some Christians who never stir up enough trouble for the cause of Christ to ever get the devil to even do anything against them. I want to tell you, if you haven't faced the devil, friend, then you're going in the same direction with him. You think about that for a minute. They'll get some of you when you get home. If you've not faced the devil in opposition, you're, going, you're drifting along on, a, on the river of apathy, just going in the same direction that, he, that he's, he's leading you. But when you stand for Christ and you stand for what's right, I promise you, friend, you don't have to look for trouble. Trouble's going to find you. It's going to find you. The, and listen, I'm not talking about earnest evangelism. We're throwing rocks through windows and just, you know, trying to, 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 to stir up a, a problem and bring attention to ourselves. I'm talking about just seeking faithfully every day to live on mission. The devil will be against you in your efforts. And he works through people. But he also works in our mind. If you're not careful... Now listen, friend. When you've been saved, you can never be possessed by the devil but you can be oppressed by the devil. And he will seek to discourage you, not through, through oppression, but it's through this, depression. Because of what's happening, because things are not going right, if you take your eyes off Jesus for just a moment, and you get the poor me's, in just a minute, friend, you'll be discouraged and you'll be sitting on the side of the road, just like one of my heroes of the faith. We'll get to it in a few Wednesday nights. But in 1 Kings 19, after a great victory in 1 Kings 18, Elijah had defeated all the prophets of Baal through the power of God, Amen. destroyed them, stood, and it was wonderful. But then one woman got after him. And I've said this many times, you know, you can deal with crazy men in the church, but if a crazy woman gets after you, God help you. <laughs> Only the Lord can deal with it. And so here Jezebel got after him, and he, 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 God had just defeated all of these prophets of Baal. And now this one nutcase is after him, and he takes his eyes off of Christ, gets under a juniper tree, and he wishes he was dead. And I'm so thankful God let him have his little pity party. And then he reminded him there were still 7,000 that haven't bowed, bowed, bowed a knee to Baal. He wasn't alone. You've got to guard your mind, friend, and make sure it is grounded in the Word and it is protected by the Holy Spirit because if you get the poor means, friend, the devil will render you useless for the cause of Christ. So we have an enemy that works through people, but he seeks to attack our mind, but he also seeks to attack our hearts. 
If he can lead us to a place, friend, that we become apathetic and indifferent, you'll not be faithful to live on mission. And that's what happened to the church of Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. We, we see that the, that church was marked by absolute apathy and indifference. And so they, just got, they didn't care if anybody got saved. And I would submit to you, friend, that's, that is the mark upon the church in which we're, we're living in today. The church, Christ's church. He said it would be so. And so constantly, every day, we must be praying, God, keep my heart tender. Keep hell hot. Father, keep me broken over lostness. Help me to see people, God, not as just a problem, but a soul for whom you died. Don't let me become racist. God, I understand. I don't understand all cultures, but remind me every day that every man, woman, boy, child that I see, it's a soul for whom you sent your son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God, keep my heart tender. And so there, there, was, this, there was this constant enemy that Paul faced. And I want you to know, listen to me. I want, I want to be, we'll be a little discouraging here, but then I want to be encouraging. You're going to have to deal with the devil as long as you're on this earth. You're always going to deal with him. There's never going to be a time that you're not... If you stand for Christ and you live for Christ, you're always going to have to deal with him. But here's the good news. You ready? Greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. You can have, Satan cannot do anything to you that you don't allow him to. Or God allows him to. We see that in the book of Job. But there will always be a way of escape. Every test, he'll seek to turn into a temptation, but you can have victory through the Holy Spirit. Greater is he. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank God for that. Third notice this morning, random examples, timeless truths. I want you to see a confused estimation. A confused estimation. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 6. So they're still in Thessalonica. So the Jews who are not persuaded, verse 5, they become enemies. They've got everybody stirred up. Verse 6 says, And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren and the rulers in the city, and they began to cry out. So, this, is, this is how they see, don't miss this, Paul's motives for coming to where they lived and to share the whole, don't miss this, the whole counsel of God's Word to tell them that they're sinners by birth, Christ died on the cross, there is no way for them to be saved except to repent and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's the gospel. This was their estimation of why Paul was there. He said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now don't miss this. These were Jews who would not receive Messiah. And they said, man, this, our crowd's getting smaller. This crowd that, you know, on Pentecost was preaching and saying that Jesus rose, that, that, that was the Messiah, and he, he rose from the grave, and that if man will repent, receive him to be Lord of their life, his, I don't even know what they're talking about, his Holy Spirit will come live in your heart. It's, it's, it's changed everything. This is what they said. Nothing's the same at church as it used to be. Church just isn't the same anymore down at the synagogue. Everything's different because everybody's talking about Jesus. People that used to be my buddies and we used to go vacation together, well, they don't want to do the things we used to do because they've trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. What's that all about? All this crowd has come, and this, this Bible, all this Bible that they're preaching, it's turned our world upside down. Friend, their problem was this. 
uh, they, they had the wrong, they had a confused estimation. They couldn't see, don't miss this, that the gospel doesn't turn the world upside down. Friend. The gospel turns the world right side back up. You see, when sin entered the world, Romans chapter 5 and verse number by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, friend, listen, prior to their sinning, everything was perfect in the garden. God says, all this is yours. Be fruitful. Multiply. Adam, here's your wife. Enjoy your marriage. Go build a family. Take care of everything. But as for the tree of knowledge and good and evil in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of it. For the day thou eatest thou of, thou shalt surely die. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave in to Satan's temptation. At that very moment, their eyes were open. And they sinned. And the world, don't miss this, turned upside down. Everything that God had created and everything that God had made, it, it was turned upside down. And now Adam didn't have the world anymore, friend. Satan had the world. Now I want you to miss this truth this morning. God still owns the world, but Satan is in possession of it. You got that? Now listen, if somebody comes and steals my fishing pole, I still own it, but they're in possession of it. And Satan came that day and stole the earth away from Adam. But one day, Jesus Christ is going to get it back. But at that moment that Adam and Eve sinned, the world turned upside down. But they didn't see that. They thought that the gospel turned everything upside down for them. They liked the world upside down. And so they thought, man, this gospel comes, and now people are leaving. People are getting saved. What's, what's that mean, saved? Now they're talking about praying and living on mission. I mean, you beat them to death, and they just, they just keep preaching. No matter what you do to them. Oh, everything's different now. And so outside the church, friend, you're, you're going to be around people, and you're going to be people that have a confused estimation of the church. And you need to understand that any life not grounded and surrendered to the, not the plan of salvation, to the man of salvation. That's what Christmas is about, friend. I mean, there's a song I like. It's called, I Thank God for the Plan of Salvation. But listen, friend, the plan of salvation can't save you. It's the man of salvation. The plan of salvation tells you how to receive the man of salvation to be Lord of your life. And so any heart, any life that's not grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to understand this, it's upside down. Is it any wonder that our, our world is in the shape that it's in and continues to stay? Because it's upside down. It's only when nations, churches, families, individuals receive Jesus Christ that it's turned right side back up. It's through the gospel. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had a, they had a confused estimation. They, they, they really couldn't see what the gospel was, was really all about. And so they, they weren't persuaded they wouldn't receive Christ. But it's not just outside the church that this happens. Don't you listen to me. I won't dwell here long. It happens inside the church too. A church that is a family-run church, a church that's not grounded in the gospel and the word of God, don't you listen to me. It's upside down. It's got a bunch of lost people that are calling the shots, running high horse over everybody. And so when a pastor or a group of people move into that church and begin, don't miss this, and begin to wholly preach the Word of God 
and to try to lead that church to be the great commission church that Christ died and desires and demands for it to be, all of a sudden, man, people, man, the faces start dropping, people are upset. And you say, what's happening, man? We're just not happy at church anymore. Well, well, why not? Because everything's changed. It's just not like it used to be. Well, why not? Well, they, all they keep saying, they keep preaching the Bible and keep talking about lordship. If I hear the word repentance one more time, I'm going to throw up. You see, friend, it's, it's not the, the word of God that turned that church upside down. It's the word of God that can turn that church back right side up. Do you see that this morning? That's why there's so many churches that are closing their doors. Because again, friend, there's been boss hogs and boss sows that have been roughshod over that church, and it's not the Word of God that ruled and reigned in the life of the church. And so you've got to make sure that you have the right view of the gospel and the right view of its Word. Look, look how it attacked these people who were inside the synagogue. Well, first off, it's because their life was, was ruled by unbiblical politics. Verse number 7 says, Jason's harbored them, and they, they're acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. They, they were more devoted to Caesar than they were to God. Now I'm telling you, friends, I've pastored churches that had a large segment of them. They cared more about their politics, a leader, and a party than they did the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they would say things like, we don't talk about politics in church. Why should there be any part of my life that the Word of God doesn't have full sway over? Hello? And somebody that doesn't want to hear about politics in church because they don't want to hear what the Word of God has to say about their politics. And so when, when, when I devote every part of my life that the Word might have full sway, friend, it's then that I get turned right side up. But if I begin to hold back and say, no, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to hear what the Bible says about this, then what I'm saying is I want to continue to have parts of my life upside down. Upside down. And so they had a confused estimation. Well, we could stay there a long time, but I'll continue to move. I just want you to know this, friend. They saw the Word of God as a threat to status quo. They saw it. That's what they did. Everything was fine till Paul came preaching God's Word. We don't want to hear God's Word anymore. It's people, are, people, are, people are leaving. People, people aren't happy. They were preaching about God's Word, they would say. So they saw this as a threat. It's quite the opposite. Only when surrendered to Christ's Lordship can one have life, have a family, have a church, and be a part of a nation, friend, that's living right side up. I want to remind you again. Listen, pray for Christian leaders, but only the gospel of Jesus Christ will turn America right side up. It's only the gospel. So they had a confused estimation. Fourth, and I close this morning, I want you to notice this truth, a critical evaluation. Well, what an example. A critical evaluation. Well, the Lord just moved Paul on down to the road, on down the road to the next town. Verse 10 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. What does that mean? They weren't hardheads. They weren't stiff-necked. They weren't so grounded. They said, we don't care what you say. We're staying the way we are. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. That they received the word with all readiness. That is, they listened. They said, what do you have to say, Paul? And then don't miss this part. Look at your Bibles. I want, I want to share something with you. 
Nothing burns me up, well, several things do, but nothing burns me up more as a pastor than to see people who are members of the church, granted, serve, teach, when I say, look at your Bibles, and there's... Friend, listen, don't take my word from what I'm saying. Look at your Bible. And you ought to have a copy of God's Word on your... Any member of this church, and listen, if you're a visitor here this morning, we're glad you're here. Your presence is gift enough. We're so glad you're here. But if you're a member of this church, you ought to have a copy of God's Word that you bring with you, and I'll be open on your lap, and you ought to be reading along. You ought to be studying. When people are just laid back, you're not looking. And you're not saying, don't take my word for it. Listen, if I preach or teach something that's contrary to the word of God, you have an obligation to fire me and to find a man of God. They'll stand here and preach God's word. But you can't know unless you're looking. So look, look what they did. They heard, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. So they were more fair-minded They received the word, and then they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They weren't going to be Paulites. You know, I'm a Paulite. I'm a follower of Paul. No, Paul didn't want them to follow him. He wanted them to follow Jesus. And so they looked to the word, and they said, you know what? It's really in there. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. And so they searched it out. You need to do that. Let me tell you something. Just because your little favorite Bible study teacher, you know, that's got pretty hair and nice clothes, or Dr. Bottle Stopper that you follow because you think he's so cool, you know, says something, don't take it for gospel. Look in the Word of God and make sure it's there. Read along. Check it out. Check me out. If I'm preaching or teaching something, something wrong, come and challenge me. And let's look and see, where have I made a mistake? But you have to look, and it's something you have to do daily, and you have to be diligent about. So any teaching, any doctrine, you need to examine and make sure that it's in God's Word. Don't be a follower of people. Be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't do that apart from His Word. But notice this, verse number 5, there were some who wouldn't receive anything. Paul Paul was sharing with them. and says, you know, look in the Bible. And they're just like, I won't receive that. These Jews, they would not receive what Paul was sharing. He says, he's the Messiah. We don't care what you say. We won't receive. Look in God's Word. I don't care what the Bible says. And there are just some people, they're not going to receive truth. And you have to know that as you seek to disciple some people. You just keep praying for them. Keep praying for lost people. And then someone says they've been saved. If they say, well, I don't care. I've had lady, I had lady tell me this one time. I don't care if it's in the Bible. I still don't like it. She didn't like it because it ran contrary to a habit in her life that was ungodly. And she wouldn't hear what the God's Word said. So there's some people that won't receive truth. But listen, don't miss this part. Sadly, there's some people in the day which we're living, they receive anything and then don't check it out. Whatever anybody says, they just take it for gospel and they just sop it up and it becomes part of their life. Paul said it would happen this way. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 3. Don't miss this. Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned 
two fables. That's the Greek word that means fiction. They'll be turned to untruths. You know what Paul's saying? He says, back in Thessalonica, there were people, they wouldn't receive anything. He says, but Timothy, there'll be coming a day when there are people within the church, they'll receive anything and never check it out. Just because the leader and the church, because the smoke was right, and the lights were so cool coming through it, and because the teacher looks like a rock star leaned up against his little stool, and got his hand perfectly positioned at the corner of his flannel shirt, they'll receive anything that he's got to say. And they won't check it out in God's Word. Friend, I'm telling you, be anxious to follow Christ, but you better know that the devil has not only people that are going to try to hate the gospel, but he's going to sow false prophets within churches today. They're going to try to lead you away from truth. And you better search the Scriptures daily to make sure the things that you're hearing are in there. Some will receive anything. But listen to what Paul's instruction was to Timothy. It's simple. Verse 5, after following verse 4, he says, But Timothy, you be watchful. He said, don't quit the church. Don't hold up. Don't run around with your hair on fire, screaming, there's false teachers, there's false teachers, there's false teachers. He said, just be watchful. That's all you've got to do. He says, you've got a copy of God's Word. Just be watchful. Church family, that's why I encourage you. What's the last thing I tell you every Sunday night before we dismiss? I'm praying for your what? Praying for your quiet times. Daily, you must be searching God's Word. Because the devil's got people surrounded by you. And listen, it's not just Bible teachers. It's through, tele, it's through ungodly television shows, blogs, all of these. Now there's podcasts, all these different things, that, all these avenues that Satan has to sow an unbiblical view of life in the world that's upside down. You've got to be watchful by continually daily to go to God's Word and say, now God, is this right? Is this true? Is this good? God, does this need to be a part of my life? Then I don't want it. Do you see that? You've, you've, you've got to do that. You've got to be watchful. Well, as we go to invitation today from these random truths and these timeless examples, what are some questions we can ask ourselves? First off, I want to ask you this. Is my life reflective of a Great Commission exhibit. Listen to me. Don't, don't pack up. This is a place where you just like, check, all right, check out, peg your play, we'll be done. Listen, this is the most important part of the service. Be open and honest before God. As God looks at your life, is your life an exhibit of a Great Commission Christian? Paul's was. We see it. Secondly, am I mindful, am I on guard at all times against the enemy of my soul? Or am I just kind of, it is what it is. If I make it, I make it. Friend, you'll, you'll never be able to successfully defeat the enemy if you don't name him and you're not on guard and you're not watching every moment. And in the knowledge of knowing that greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. You can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. Third, how, how, how do I see the impact of God's word upon my life? Don't miss that. Not how does everybody else see it. But God, how do I see the impact of your word on my life? Do I receive and know that everything that's in your word, everything that's in your word is there to continue to make my life more right side up in Jesus Christ. I've come that you might have life and 
life more. You can't have an abundant life apart from God's Word. It's to have your life right side up. And I close. God, am I daily searching that my life might be holy and completely, be in line with your Word, and nothing refused that's in your Word, and don't miss this, nothing received. Nothing refused that's in your Word, but nothing received that's contrary to your Word. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Have you ever trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? Your life's upside down today. I invite you today, just like Paul did over 2,000 years ago, to those Jews in Thessalonica and in Berea, to turn from your sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. It's what Christmas is all about. God sent Christ that he might grow into the body of a man so that it could hang upon the tree. He could give his life a ransom for your sin and for my sin. The Bible says if you'll simply turn from your sin and trust Christ to be Lord of your life and call out to him in saving faith, he'll save you from your sin. But you've got to choose to receive him. Won't you do it right now? If you've never been saved, pray just like this. But you've got to mean it with all your heart as you talk to him. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me, that he rose again. As Peggy and Holly sang this morning, the blood that he shed, the blood that he shed can wash my sins away, and I want that today. I receive Jesus to be Lord of my life. That's my prayer. If you did that this morning, you've trusted Christ. In just a moment, when we stand our feet, won't you make your way right down here to the front? And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Friend, are you diligently studying God's Word every day? Are you diligently living on mission, seeking to win a lost soul to Christ? Do you really see the Word of God, the Word of God as the way, a personal relationship with Christ as the way to have a life that's turned right side up? Or do you still kind of resent different doctrines and truths in God's Word because they run contrary to parts of your life that's upside down? Father, speak to us, challenge us. God, where our lives are out of line with the Word of God and the person of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I pray you'll convict us. I pray we'll be quick this morning to forsake those things, those attitudes, those heart tendencies. And this morning to re-surrender our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we experience your reviving touch upon us. Bless this time. Father, speak to every heart. Overwhelm us with your will. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed.